So one anecdote, when I was uh, 17, it, it's in 2005, I remember it really well, uh, I'm walking down a corridor at school and I think it was the headmaster says to me in the corridor, oh, have you seen London have won the bid to hold the Olympics in 2012? You know, I'm still um, seven years away at the time. And to me, at the 15 year old me, he said, wouldn't it be fantastic if you could be there and you could win a medal? And to me, even the fact of being there, it felt completely irrelevant. I was like, nah, I'll never be good enough to go to the Olympics. Like, that's way off, like miles off for me. Um, and crazy. Mm. at the time, I was a 17-year-old kid. Whatever I was trying to do, win the Yorkshire Champs that weekend. Uh, yeah. And that was my world and that was my goals. And obviously, you know, goals move on and you, you try and do different things. But three years later, in 2008, I was on at the Olympic Games and leading it with about 5K to go. So, yeah. The, I've kind of thought that it's more important that you believe you're doing everything you can to mm. be as good as you can. Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. We're recording at the incredible Wheatwood Hall Hotel Podcast Studio. This is a podcast that goes way beyond stigma. We talk about men's mental health and mindset. We encourage the type of conversation that will open you up to another way to live life, another way to see yourself and the world around you. If you are ready for that, you're in the right place. I'm Stevie Ward and I'm an ex professional rugby league player and captain and now I guess I'm a bit of a podcaster, speaker, actor, writer, entrepreneur. I'm still working all that out but at Mentality we help men take control of their mindset by teaching them to find purpose, resilience and what I believe is the new success, inner peace. That sounds good. If you are that guy who is waking up to the fact that they need to do something different in life and the same old habits aren't working for you, it might be time to step up. If you want to start your journey with us, you can go to mentality.co.uk forward slash coaching to join the best team you have ever seen. Today, me and Stevie were delighted to be joined by a man who needs no introduction, Alistair Brownlee. Um, but I'm going to try and give him one anyway. He's a two-time Olympic champion, two-time triathlon world champion, two-time world team champion, and four-time European triathlon champion. Uh, we had a really interesting chat. We got deep about where he's at right now in his life, what he's done and what he's learned, and he gave us all some really interesting tips I think we can all implement to be our better selves. Hope you enjoy. Ali. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for coming on, Mantelay. Pleasure. Podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Um, had quite a busy day doing various stuff, t- various things today. And um, yeah, busy few months. It's been a frustrating year because I've been injured pretty much all this year. Um, had an operation on it. I think last time I saw you, I was all in like plaster and stuff. You were. Yeah. You were. How um, is, yeah. this, is this the ankle injury? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the ankle injury. Um, and that was a couple of months ago now, the surgery on that, or a bit longer. Um and I've been trying to kind of rehab it um, since then, and it's still not great. So anyway, it's basically probably written off my chances of racing for most of the rest of the year, I think. Um, so yeah, I've had to have a bit of a change of focus on that front. But apart yeah. from that, I'm okay. I think last time I saw you, and me and Nat just come back from a swim. Is that where yeah. we come? Yeah. We're yeah, you were in Bramo, and uh, you've been swimming in the the wharf just down the road. Yeah. yeah. That's that, you've been to that spot as well, haven't you? Yeah. 
just with the round corner. We um, last time I saw Ali, I'd, I'd been in cold, cold water floating. As I don't really swim because we get headaches, but the cold water floating. Come back up for a, a nice bite to eat, and Ali comes. He still came on a bike though. He came on an electric bike, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like he's he's got his own crutches in the cast. Why is he just flipping rid here? <laughs> but he, he it's literally to, like two hundred meters from our house. Yeah, to be fair. Oh, easy, <laughs> easy. But um, yeah, so like obviously you've been injured, aren't you? And, and you've you've had that injury. What's it look like for you? How, how have you managed it all? And, and you know, what's the scenario has been missing stuff and, and training? How have you been able to train? And well, yeah, it's been really tough. Um, so really, I mean, four or five years ago, I switched all my focus to do long distance triathlon. Um, and that's like four and eight hour long races, basically. Completely different ball game. And um, that seemed quite a lot uh, kinder on my body. Um, and then I tried to switch back to do Olympic distance, which is short and fast. Um, and that was going really well at the back end of last year. Um, and anyway, ended up having an injury just completely out of nowhere. It's my left ankle, um, that I've actually struggled with in the past, but for five or six years had no problems there at all until some random, uh, run where I'd, I ran out from my house on a Sunday afternoon and it just started hurting. And basically it's hurt me every day since then. Mm. Uh, and that was in March. Um, so obviously tried everything to get it better, you know, rehab, physio, injections, everything you can imagine, rest, obviously. Uh, and ultimately didn't, which then took me out of, of missing racing in the Olympic Games. So that was really frustrating. Um, mm. Had the operation on it. Uh, and yeah, I think that was maybe even three months ago and, uh, that went, I think as well as it could have, there was loads of scar tissue in there, took out the scar tissue, made sure everything was moving and yeah, I've been trying to rehab and get it better over the last three months. And, um, yeah, it's still pretty still not as good as I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. So I've had to kind of reassess my, um, goals and outlook again to just give it more time. Really, yeah. unfortunately, maybe I can uh, try and have a, a wider perspective on it and it's part of getting old well into my 30s now and uh, not recovering like I used to I don't know but yeah at the moment I'm trying to tell myself right you know um, if you can get this right and get it better rather than rush back and race um, that's probably better for for the long term so yeah anyway I've had a few kind of uh, days thinking about what I'm going to do for the next few months and decided on looking to try and do some uh, like challenging um, bike race and events and stuff um, so that should be quite interesting yeah yeah because it's mate, I, I completely feel you I completely feel you in terms of the injuries and reassessing and mm. I've had I feel like I've had to bend my mind around so many different obstacles and motivate myself in different ways get myself right and then to go again and not leave anything behind and it's um it can be frustrating it can be frustrating so i feel you um so the iron man how's that how's that going to be a different challenge then like it's it mentally it's going to be tougher is it i don't know will it be tougher or yeah i've, I've already done three full iron mans um already um and loads of half iron mans um it's different in lots of ways. Obviously, it's a lot longer. <laughs> mm. It's a lot more of an individual effort. So it's less actually about racing who's next to you and more about, well, what have I got? What can I do? Yeah. How can I push? Um, so that's quite that's quite interesting. Um, that brings in a few things. It brings, obviously, pacing becomes really important. Your nutrition becomes really important. Um, something I've worked really hard on, your, your ability to uh, go at a single pace or 
output for a long period of time uh, and your aerodynamics on the bike. So they're, they're like things to work on. Um, mentally, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because, yeah, you're going for eight hours and uh, the, well, the one that went really well for me, uh, you know, with I got through to about 10 or 15K to go, um, you know, like in, well into the last hour. Um, at that point, my legs were hurting and you just know your legs are going to hurt and you've just got to get through it. Uh, whereas in lots of ways, the short distance racing, you know, putting yourself sometimes through hell for mm. maybe only minutes at a time, but it is really extreme, mm. you know, kind of fight discomfort, I guess. So, yeah, they're just different in in different ways. Um, and it, in some ways, it's easier. It's kind of different pressures in terms of you're not standing on the start line thinking, Something. you know, this is the Olympic game. It's really important what I do in the next 60 mm. seconds. You're standing there thinking... Frankly, I could probably stand there and have a cup of tea and it wouldn't make that much difference because <laughs> I've got eight hours yeah. to do. So it kind of offloads the pressure in, in that respect. Um, but in, in other ways, yeah, you, you've got right. I've got eight hours to do this here. You know, you've got, there's a lot of like moving parts. It's, mm-hmm. am I, what am I doing now? Is that the right thing to do? You know, do I need to take on more water? Do I need to take on more uh, carbohydrate? Should I be in a more aerodynamic position, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Because me and Chris were chatting before and we were talking about the fact that you're the only fella to have won a gold medal being favourite. Um, how does and that done it back to back as well? And back to back. Yeah. How does that play into it? Like, why do you think, from your experience doing it, other guys might have fell off from that point? Because presumably, usually, most sports, the favourites, favourite for a reason. But is mm. there a reason why? Is it the pressure or is it traffic such a close field or so many variables and things which can go wrong? Or Yeah, I think mostly uh, it's probably a close field and lots of variables. It's a really open sport. So if you look at the Olympic Games uh, that, you know, that we've just had and you watch something like BMXing, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, the Olympic Games is about getting into sports that you wouldn't otherwise yeah. watch. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, all of a sudden, and for me, that was a few things, actually. I'll happily admit that I was maybe a bit of a skeptic about seeing skateboarding in the Olympic Games. I went to watch it and loved it. I, yeah. I went to watch sport climbing and absolutely loved it. Um, I watched freestyle BMX, I think, and, and loved that. Um, but I didn't, I, I followed on TV, I didn't watch it live. Um, I was following the BMX um, racing and you watch that and you just think this sport is as near to a lottery as you know <laughs> yeah, what sport can be yeah. so yeah there is that element of unpredictability and there's a scale of that from bmxing at one side of it to something a lot more predictable um you know i guess like a swimming event where you're in your own lane you know it's really about just doing your own performance to an extent still got an element of unpredictability but it's fairly predictable, um, I would have thought, and everything in between, and I guess triathlons on the unpredictable scale, and that's for loads of reasons. Open sport conditions, of course, makes a difference. Um, it's quite close. Uh, I think I was lucky um, that I arrived at two Olympic Games in my best possible shape, you know, and I do say lucky for a reason. Yeah, there was a hell of a lot of training and preparation that went into that. But also, you know, lucky that I didn't have any bad injuries, uh, you know, in the close lead up, uh, mm. didn't have any illness. Uh, I had great periods of training going to both of those. And so I knew on those start lines that I was the best athlete in the race. And it was about me going out and winning. Um, and there was an element of luck involved in that. Um, and I think also at times I, I had enough of a buffer to 
be a little bit off my day and and, and still uh, actually win a race, uh, which I think allowed me as the favourite to to do well. Um, and I think in other years it's been it's been a bit closer. You know, people have had injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think they're the main reasons. You mentioned luck there, right? And this is one of the questions I was going to ask later because, as well as being an athlete, you're also incredibly interested in in other athletes, and particularly I know in your book, Relentless. Uh, maybe athletes from sports you didn't even watch or know much about. So um, I think you mentioned horse racing and you had Ronnie O'Sullivan on. Mm. And what, if you were going to put a number on it, right, between like talent, hard work and luck, could you put a percentage split between what you think makes the kind of <laughs> ultimate kind of athlete? Or does it differ yeah. per sport? Well, that, this is, it not only differs per sport, it differs per individual. Um, and it's the million dollar question you know without we could obviously do like a, a series of podcasts i think on this topic alone yeah yeah but you know i think so if we just go for like hard work and talent um i actually think you know a big ability your ability to do hard work is an element of talent you know how yeah. can you for any sport um you know f i guess for what you know to um what i know to someone who's actually in horse racing to run your sullivan to whoever like ultimately, you've got to do something consistently very well over a long period of time. And that's what we all define as hard work. Um, I don't think, you know, almost anyone would describe that to some kind of extent, you know, a talent, whether that talent is a nature or nurture. Again, it's another question that I don't have the answer for. But um, yeah, I, I, so I think ultimately you need a good balance of um some kind of talent and I, I, I think that uh, that hard work element I, I think is probably talent and I, I'm not describing talent here as purely genetic nature or or nurture obviously it's a bit of both um, I think that nurture element though um, is also important and you know comes down to look you know I, I, there's so many kind of times in my career I look back and go I was so lucky in that instance um, so one might be that I, you know, at 10 years old, as a most 10 year old do, I got sent to a particular school uh, for, obviously for my schoolwork, because it's what mum and dad thought was best for me. But it just happened that that was the best at the time, probably the best school in the country um, to to run with. You know, they had a teacher there who loved his running, took a group of lads out running every lunchtime uh, and uh took took those lads to races pretty much every weekend you know incredible commitment from oh. two individuals really at the time um and yeah that i can say that that's a massive reason why i was a good runner and by the time i was 17 18 i was the best runner in the country and the best kind of triathlon runner in the world uh or, or on my way there and that's yeah oh, there was some level of physical talent uh but obviously a lot of that my just um giving me the infrastructure or or allowing me or actually taking away the barriers to go and run and showing me how to do it and actually teaching me that it was something that you could do for fun and enjoyment as well as training was a was an enormous part of that um so yeah that's the look element that kind of feeds into those the the, the nurture element yeah. and then yeah there, there is uh i think look is often um understated because it's such a, a nuanced um a nuanced topic you know uh and when i was uh, doing the interviews for the book ronnie o'sullivan said this really well you know he articulated it you know said basically i i kind of effing hate the genius title um it undermines all the hard work i've put in and mm -hmm. i think in sport that sometimes 
where we get confused and we hear all these very true cliches of, um, you know, the harder you practice, the lucky I get, which is obviously true. Um, mm. And you don't want to undermine someone's hard work. But then on top of all that, there just is an element of luck. Um, being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right people at the right time, um, not having those injuries, freak accidents, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Um, and yeah, you've got to... Uh, You've got to know them and understand them and reduce the chances of bad luck and control the controllables all at the same time as having a little bit of respect that you need you need some luck. <laughs> was, was Stevie in the book or? I think he was, I, I, yeah. I asked I know him, but he was busy. It was, uh, <laughs> was top athletes. It was top athletes. <laughs> I had anything else to do. I've been warning Stevie off all day about this. So, he was too busy swimming, I think. Yeah, yeah. swimming at um, Holly Wharf. Um, Maybe in the second one. Please. Second one yeah. is always a number two. Sequel. <laughs> Um, but just hearing you talk then, Ali, um, and like, when did all this stuff sort of like pique your interest? Like, when did you feel like you wanted to look into this? When did you become conscious of looking into all of the look aspects, all of the hard work, what you can do different, what you can use your mind to do differently, how you can put your body through it? Like, when was it that, that you started to look in, into that? It was, was it when you struggled at one time was it when you had to do something different or has it just been something that's uh, i think right from the beginning uh i think i've always been really inquisitive and yeah. um just about anything in general and i think also i a lot of the time in my sport i was going about it as like how do i maximize my ability to perform mm -hmm. and that you know how do i maximize my ability to train um how do i ride a bike faster you know all the different components that go into that and so uh you know as a 15 16 year old i was reading kind of sports physiology books and training mm. I remember my dad buying me a, a sports physiology book and kind of reading and getting to grips with that um and so a real interest with it and balancing uh like i'll show so you know you know one of the really fascinating things in sport is there are so many things you can do every hour of the day. You know, there's always something you could do to improve. Um, mm. There's always someone with an opinion. As an athlete, you get mm. uh, opinions from your coaches, um, whatever, physio physios, physiologists, doctors, parents, friends, you know, everyone yeah. has an opinion on. You get weird like family members who've got no right to be giving you tips <laughs> saying, you know, what? I think you should be trying this. You get all sorts, all sorts. But I think the, the skill in that um, is listening to everything uh, and deciding how to act on it um, and you know trying to weight the opinions of yeah the, the objectivity and where they come from I guess um, but at the end of the day listening to it and acting on it and, and not letting the stress of listening to it um, get you down because you never know actually where uh, yeah maybe whatever your yeah, random auntie isn't going to deliver a, a particularly good opinion but you yeah, you never know uh, and someone actually more importantly should deliver a very well thought out objective opinion um, most importantly just because they've got a title their opinion might be absolutely useless so yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's about uh, and vice versa absolutely it's about balancing those and ultimately I think the important thing is um yeah, you take those on board, make the decision. But I think the most important thing, actually, even independent of the decision you come to, is that when you've, you make the decision and when you make the decision, you make it with full conviction that, and that you go and carry it out because there's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of a cycle there of I've made this decision, I've decided to commit to it, so I'm going to do it to the best of my ability so it works out rather than going someone else has kind of made this decision. I don't fully subscribe to it. 
I'm not carrying it out properly, and so it do, hey presto, it doesn't really work out that well. It, when you mentioned your 15, 16 year old self getting into the reading side of this stuff, if you could sit down with him now and tell him everything you've achieved in your career, what do you think he would think? I'd think I was absolutely mad, definitely. Um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't want to tell him, actually. I'd want to, him to stay like unknowing and mm. kind of hungry and interested and not having a clue. Um, but so one anecdote, when I was uh, 17, it, it's in 2005, I remember it really well, uh, July, uh, I'm walking down a corridor at school and I think it was the headmaster says to me in the corridor, oh, have you seen London have won the bid to hold the Olympics in 2012? You know, I'm still um, seven years away at the time. And to me, at the 15-year-old me, he said, wouldn't it be fantastic if you could be there and you could win a medal? And to me, even the fact of being there, it felt completely irrelevant. I was like, nah, I'll never be good enough to go to the Olympics. Like, that's way off, like miles off for me. Um, and crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, loads of people now, you know, you might call it like imposter syndrome and lack of confidence or whatever. But uh, actually, I just think it's really important natural kind of realism um mm. at the time i was a 17 year old kid whatever i was trying to do win the yorkshire champs that weekend uh, yeah. and that was my world and that was my goals and obviously you know goals move on and you, you try and do different things but um yeah that's and three years later in 2008 i was on at the olympic games and leading it with about 5k to go so yeah the i've kind of thought the stuff about but you've got to believe things to do it and belief I, i'm not sure how important that is i think it's more important that you believe you're doing everything you can to mm. be as good as you can yeah i like that and and you, we, we've evolved mate with this membership it's like literally getting guys to use a measuring stick of what they want to be who they want to sort of become um implementing the habits and understanding what that picture is of that that person giving them a chance to, to sort of understand that picture and then work towards it keep working towards it having like that track set out for them to keep to keep improving and i guess we sort of try and unearth um some of the stuff that that you learn as an elite athlete with confidence and and as you said controlling what you can control and um you mentioned imposter syndrome there um i was just wondering like th there's loads of guys that that will have it i have it i live with it um here and there and everywhere um have you had it around competition? Um, is it something that you you had to work with, or you know, is it, does it does it affect your lead up to games? Do you, do you know, do you have to tackle it and, and get rid of it, or is it? I yeah, I don't think um, I probably have had it in the extent that people talk about it. Um, you know, there's definitely times I've kind of been like, yeah, I'm gonna get smashed here. You know, my realism, realistically, my goal is top ten, and um, you know, I can, I've gone and won the race. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so that's why I, I don't believe actually uh, that belief aspect for me uh, is that important. Um, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. You often hear the opposite. And it, it kind of annoys me when athletes say, if you visualize it and believe it, you can achieve it kind of thing. Because for everyone who says that, it's people who do the same thing and they don't achieve it, but you mm. don't hear from them. Yeah. So I like the way you put it, where you believe if you do everything you can, you'll get your best yeah. result possible. Well, so I always think that, yeah, I mean, on Friday night, you buy a lottery ticket and you buy a lottery ticket 
to give yourself a few hours of believing that you're going to win yeah. 100 million on euro millions now you can believe you're going to win 100 million on euro you can even yeah. have decided by 10 o'clock what you're going to spend your 100 million on <laughs> but it doesn't give you any more chance of yeah. winning your 100 million does it no. however I, many I helicopters believe, you decide yeah. you decide to buy i firmly believe leeds will beat man U <laughs> yeah. on the weekend look how that yeah. 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 that did not go to plan <laughs> wishing it to happen yeah, the secret and all that. I was like, I'm visualising it, <laughs> telling the universe. But. Yeah, there's a balance. And, and I think, you know, like James Clear's quote, it's like you you don't rise to the level of the goals, but you fall to the level of your systems. Um, and it's sort of evidence-based, isn't it? I think it's looking more evidence-based between what you do believe and what you sort of are confident with. Um, and I've sort of... It, it, I'm wondering, I'm think as you're talking, I'm thinking about how I sort of used it or thought about it in, in approaching to games. And, you know, sometimes I'd visualise tries and I might not score it that week, but I'd score a similar try the week after. I'm like, well, is that because I've, you know, I've, is that because I've done it and visualised it and sat down and and rehearsed it? Because there's, there's, there's knowledge and there's, there's evidence out there about visual and mental rehearsal about that actually you know, in terms of it might be doing bicep curls or it might be doing um, mm. free throws in basketball, that actually can make a difference to a group that don't do it all. And, you know, it's giving you some sort of evidence and, and facts there. Yeah, so it, it, it's slightly separate though, isn't it? As in, yeah. they talk like boxers, like Josh Warrington was saying, wasn't he? That he used to just visualise and visualise and visualise walking out Ellen Road. And then what the scientists say is what that did, I mean, when he did it, He'd already rehearsed it so much, he wasn't overawed by it as mm. much. Although he did say, you know, it's a massive experience. But when you go out the night before and walk the same ring walk, you've already rehearsed it, so it's not new. So there is a reason behind that. Mm. But I guess you just want to differentiate that from people saying that because you visualised the try, that's why you scored it. Yeah. Oh, maybe? yeah, it's not, it's not surely like that yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, like the universe doesn't line up because you've visualised yeah. it. It's that but what you I'm give yourself the best. Is that, is that, has that mental rehearsal in that type of game, that competition, flick the fibres on in your muscles while you, do you know, because it's like kidding your, it's kidding your body. Yeah, you, yeah. Your body's kidding your brain that you're actually doing it. It's like practising. Um, and there's loads of like sort of stuff around that. Um, I think it comes in more handy when it's a, a competition where you, you know, you're actually having a skill-based thing. Because I've done it before. I've visualised games before. I'm going up on a coach to a game. Um, I've been visualising it and, you know, sort of like thinking about what I'm going to do in the game, thinking about, you know, being there for my teammate, all this sort of stuff. And you get to the game and you go, I've already done it. <laughs> do you know, first 20 minutes, like, fucking, I've already tackled for this fella. I've, I've just imagined, do you know what I mean? It's like it, mm. I think there's, you know, who knows what it is. It's, you can't really depict what it is. But yeah, it's like, that's why I'm so interested in in sort of mindset and, and how to use it and how would you use it in a different sport and different scenarios, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I was just I was just sort of thinking about it from from my point of view going into it. Well, I was thinking for both of you then, right? Now that the physical side of your sports and obviously you've now retired has been taken away, do you spend extra time on the men? Do you think okay, I can get an edge on being more mentally strong. I've got more time to do things on mindset. I mean, you do as part of mentality anyway, and this is like your journey now. But I wondered, this past year being as challenging as it has physically, the stuff Stevie's talking about, are you thinking, right, I'm gonna add more stuff to my mental toolkit? Are you looking at that side? You said today you've gone and spoken to 
um, scientists in Liverpool about working on carbs. Are you getting more time to do extra things? Yeah, I'm definitely getting more time to do extra things. Um, I think mainly I'm the kind of person uh, that needs to do stuff, uh, needs to have projects on the go, um, I guess in some way to feel fulfilled. But um, I, yeah, I, I'm used to, since I was basically 16 years old, getting up, um, going training, doing four, five, six, seven hours of training in the day, finishing the day knackered, knowing that I was better than the day before mm. and having this automatic way of feeling fulfilled and having actually my weeks laid out for me in terms mm. of routine. It's actually, you know, at the time you're in it, you're thinking this is tough, but um, I really noticed it when uh, we had those first lockdowns and I was like, I, I'm not the kind of person that needs routine and structure. You know, I've always just trained hard, but done it. And then all of a sudden, there wasn't any routine or structure. And I was like, whoa, shit. <laughs> like, like, it didn't take long, like 10 days in or two weeks in, I was like, wow, this is bad. Like, mm. you know, I could be the kind of person that uh, quickly kind of goes off the rails if I don't put a structure. So no, I had a, I had an endless pool in my house then. So I was like, right, I'm going to be in the pool swimming at eight o'clock every morning. I'm going to write a session on a board and I'm going to get in there and do it. Mm. Uh, basically a structure that had been in one way or another provided for me and around me for my entire adult life. Uh, I suddenly had to provide for myself and, and realize the importance of that. Um, so when I can't train, uh, I have to have that in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, I, I guess I go, how can I um, work on the, the bits of my sport that I can still do and maximize now while I'm not training? And yeah, so one of those um, could be carb, the stuff I've been doing in a, in a lab today, uh, ingesting carbs and maximizing that. Um, other things is, my, I guess, my kind of life outside professional sport, which is like various business interests and stuff. And I'm in a great position that I've worked really hard for over a lot of years of working out kind of, I guess, what I want to do um, post-sport uh, and having trying a number of things, I guess, and having those kind of stuff opportunities that I can kind of ramp up and do a bit more of when I, I do a bit less of my sport and they are so important for me. Mm. Did you find that, I remember, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, but there was a time at your, at the Rhinos where you were questioning whether if mentality was impacting on your ability to be dedicated as much as you could mm. to the sport. And when you mentioned your business interests and stuff, do you often have to think, right, I've got to remind myself that I'm an athlete first and this stuff shouldn't get in the way. Because you had that yeah, question, I remember. I mean, this this is like, we're talking about evidence and, and thinking and stuff behind it, but the way my mind works is when stuff goes wrong, I'd question, like, because I was so dedicated to like, being on the field, being consistently good, playing games like you know being fit for a full year and stuff like that and if adversity came or if something wasn't right I'd question and I'd I'd, I'd, I'd dig in to think right okay this ain't going right something has to change so I can be good on the field on the rugby field and that sometimes did slip into my thoughts um, so do you think you sometimes search for reasons which might not actually be there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, it's, you know, we're talking about evidence and you're talking about believing. It's like, I had to get to a point where I go, right, okay, this is, 
mentalities literally came from a 12 month injury where I had to, like Ali said there, I, I had to have some, I had to have something, a project mm. rather than just literally trying to get my knee back working again, which I, I could do literally in my sleep because I'd done it before two hours, three hours in the morning and then I was away for the day and it's like I needed something to, to exercise my mind on. Um, but then, you know, that, the questioning, which is which is something that I've had to work with for the last, it was actually my first concussion, 2018, which which uh, I had to start working with it because that massively rocked me. I'm out for about five or six weeks with that concussion. Um, and I was questioning, you know. So your first concussion injury, not yeah. your first concussion. I'm injury, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Proper like bad yeah, one. Yeah. So that was me sort of understanding how my mind worked, what, where it went to when stuff, when life whacked me in the face, do you know? And, and you know, whether that's getting injured, whether that's relationship issues, whether that's, I'd always unearth stuff and question stuff to try and get to where I wanted to be, which in, in reality, I, I was self-sabotaging basically, or, you know, I was sort of digging when I didn't need to dig. If that makes sense, mm. you know, and, and that's that's the reality that my mind would create instead of right. It's another injury. Do, you, do it's, it's it's simple, you know. It's ob objectively, it's just simple. You're injured. You need to get. You know what I mean? It's like so. I'd I'd be so fucking pissed off that I were injured again. I'd be like, right, w what can I do to? And that would mean training daft hours, training amount rehabbing just ridiculous hours, probably too much. But I had to put my energy into something, if that makes sense, because it's similar to, to Ali, it's like you've, you've, you've had that that day set for you all the time and you know, Friday night, you know, you're playing, Monday you're reviewing it, whether you won or you lost, but I'm like, fucking hell, got to get back. So that's, that's what my mind slipped into um, 2018 time. And this gets into, we've had this chat before, but I think you'd be a really good person to talked about Ali Lee because obviously we have a mental health angle right and I guess one of the Stevie's talking about how he's it's almost like you're you're overthinking and inner critic was probably constantly telling you you're yeah, not doing massive, enough yeah. and there's a real fine line between uh, I know a lot of people in our Evolve group and we talk and we, we have our sharings and stuff will say that that's the voice which might tip them into depression sometimes but then when I hear top athletes talk sometimes I feel like it's almost like that same voice could be what drives them on. So mm. I wonder, is there, but then a lot of athletes when sports taken away can delve into depression. So do you think about how you react to that inner voice or do you have to try and tamper it? Or have you got a good kind of inner voice that's always bigging you up or yeah, it's kind of an open question, but. Yeah, I think the first thing I was thinking there when you were talking Stevie is that this is probably my uh, gross oversimplification of the thing. Um, but I, I, um, I reckon I see a lot, and myself included, and other people around me, a lot of these problems start when the link between training uh, or preparation or whatever and performance and the efficacy, that link's broken. And that injury is one of the massive things that does that for me. Uh, and aging process and other things also happen. But... You know, is for a lot of my career, it was really easy. The more training I did, the better I got. Simple mm. as that. I'd go out, do more training, 
and experimented with ridiculous amounts of training, like 40 hours a week and found a, a medium. I just know I had to do that. The more, the longer I did that for over a period of time, um, I'd get better. Now, the longer that goes on and you do that again and again, you don't get those improvements or you do it again and you get in, you, do, you don't get the improvements. And so you, you break that efficacy link of, right, what I do here makes me better effectively mm. and as an athlete i think once that link starts getting a bit wavered you, mm. you're in trouble and mm. like it gets a lot harder so i think that's the that's the first thing i think you probably had that with injuries as mm. i did it questions what you do i've seen other people i think have it um due to massive psychological trauma you know they're going training going through the motions but that isn't producing the the physical benefit they they expect so that efficacy gets broken you then don't train as hard so you perform even worse and it becomes mm. a bit of a cycle um again probably my gross oversimplification of things but um being, a, being from yorkshire that's what we do yeah? yeah uh so i think that i think in terms of my inner voice um yeah i mean there's a inner voice there that i like any i guess anyone um deals with to one extent or another uh, i think mine is generally positive and generally is saying do more to me uh and do it harder <laughs> and work harder uh and maybe maybe i'm like i don't know maybe i'm lucky and unlucky in that it's a it's a fine line um in lots of situations it served me well in some situations maybe not so much mm. um and but yeah that and that in that needs release at some points as well and um yeah I, i'm kind of one of the things for me, like endurance, exercise and sport and training and particularly running actually has always provided me with my uh, release. So mm. I'm literally never happier, more fulfilled or content as when I'm, I can train hard across all three sports and I've got a goal. Um, and that's one of the main things that I've kind of realized. Um, it took me quite a long time to realize actually it's the the process of setting a goal, training hard to achieve it and being able to train hard over a long period of time, see myself get fitter and just the contentment that I get from that, that um, is what, what I enjoy. Um, mm. And it's that voice that drives me to do that. When, when I can't do that, that, that's when things get a bit tougher. It should be get airy. The, mm. um, it, it just it makes sense though. It's like that inner critic that is there to serve you, to strive and strive and get better and keep and keep training keep flipping winning man of the match keep you know week on week on week that's the thing that's like you said when it's when it's when you're training when you're fit everything's fine everything's mm. everything's sound life's easy then isn't it? life's easy yeah. you don't have to question you don't have to ask anything but when you do have it when you that energy that inner critic's going like the wheels turning that's sort of how i'd explain it um and then it's trying to find the solution you know, I'd be trying to get back earlier. I'd be trying to, just because that energy, that sort of way that I've been brought up, the way that I've always wanted to strive is just, it's just like, you know, it's like a muscle, like anything. It's just, but it's a, a consistent thing. And that's what with me now, I'm, I'm finding really hard because I've got this brain injury that I'm getting migraines. I'm getting, you know, all sorts like, and, and, I sometimes tip it over too much because I, I'm not excited about mm. the challenge of it. Excited about the challenge of making mentality better, of helping people, of, of having these conversations. But I go too far, and then for two, three days, I'm like, I'm, I'm out of it. 
you're in that cycle at the moment, aren't mm. you? Where you push it a bit too much. Yeah. So j- just to touch on, to kind of close that loop on the inner critic thing. I've got a theory that like the optimum mental athlete. Like I remember chatting to you once, Steve, after a game. I think you made a mistake, and you said you know you're going to run it through in your head 50 times that night. Mm. And I think the optimum mental athlete could. And you've talked about how you've changed this and worked on the control, the controllables model, but would run through it in the head once and think about, right, next time this is what I need to implement and then not allow it to keep playing on loop or, or not follow it when, when that thought comes up, not follow the, not get on the train, as Sam Harris would say. Then it's like, do you need to suffer so that you, you really make it right next time? Do you know what I mean? There you yeah. I mean, there's a fine line, the isn't there? Yeah. 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 If there's no suffering involved. That's, yeah. that's, a, Brian, that's a Brian McDermott yeah, yeah. attitude coming out. Suffer to perform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- there is a happy medium, I think, uh, and realism. I don't think, yeah. A, no one can do it once. And if you do it once, you're probably a bit of a psychopath, you know, you can yeah, just yeah. switch. But I mean, getting closer emotions. to once. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's I think true, you're yeah. right as well. I think you need to do a number, t- you probably learn from doing it a number of times. And yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, there'll be some big mistakes, I guess, you make or I make that actually sit absolutely fine and you forget three yeah. seconds afterwards. And yeah. there's some mistakes yeah. that just stick in your head yeah. and you have to kind of deal with and maybe, like you said, atone for to, to some extent. <laughs> Looking forward to Monday uh, video review. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, live a long weekend. When, when we were uh, planning this pod, we're conscious that whenever... It's hard not to ask you the questions you must always get asked. Do you know what I mean? Like asking you about your relationship with your brother, things like that. Mm. And um, there's one question I'm sure you get asked a lot, but I genuinely find it really interesting. And it's uh, I, I, on one of the meditation courses I went to, I remember there's quite a few parents on it. And the reason they were on it is because they said they realized they'd never really been there present when their kids were growing up. They were always worrying about dinner or worrying about things. Mm. So they wanted to learn to be present while they're growing up because they realized it happened so fast and we missed it. And I guess the classic question is for the athlete is, do you allow yourself time to enjoy it when you get the great moments? Or are you just always straight on to the next thing? Like, right, 2012 is over, the prep for 2016 begins now, or the world triathlons? Or... Yeah, I think um, I I was lucky in that um, I did kind of allow myself a bit of time to enjoy uh, all the good times. And yeah, really lucky. I mean, that doesn't mean that I didn't, train my ass off and prepare hard for the next thing either but yeah I did um yeah I I actually had this thing so for world triathlon series uh I won the first one I ever won in 2009 and I had this thing it's like oh, I might be the last one I win as well I've kind of mm. got to go out and celebrate it a bit mm. um I ended up winning five that year and I think about 25 in total so a lot of celebrating it changes obviously over time but um yeah, that, that was my attitude, you know, what, what a celebration, you know, it doesn't have to be like a massive night till six in the morning, although I think the first one was to be fair, but anyway. <laughs> I've seen you in Manhattan, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was like, yeah, you, you should actually, you, you've trained hard, you know, the dedication, I don't need to justify it, but over a lot of period of time, train hard, and I think it is important to take that pause and the reprieve and, and enjoy it. Um, and uh, so I, I kind of did, um, and that might have been various things, might have been a, a few drinks, might have been a dinner with friends or actually a few days of doing other stuff that I enjoyed, whatever, but I was consciously trying to do that a lot. And I think I did do quite a good job. Um, but I did, I had a moment um, 
in London, uh, so when I was winning the Olympics in London, obviously, you know, a race, like I said earlier, I'd known about for seven years and probably thought about every day for all of those seven years, like a massive deal. Um, and I'm running down like the last kilometer. I basically know I've won. I've got like a 10 second lead, but I'm still pushing and pushing and pushing to the last 50 meters, grab a, a flag and kind of collapse across the line. And the whole thing is kind of a blur. Um, from crossing the line to, you know, saying well done to Johnny had conferred like amazing to being on like a whistle stop, uh, media tour basically for the next whatever few weeks of my life um, and lots of late nights and lack of sleep. So I did enjoy it in different ways, but maybe never took time to actually stop and have a bit of perspective and, and maybe internally enjoy it, however you define that, I don't know. I was immensely lucky in Rio uh, when I won that, uh, won the Olympics there to have a solid, I think, 20 or 30 seconds lead. So I got into the last K and I was like, right, you've got time to enjoy winning the Olympic Games for the second time here. Um, and I got to walk the last 100 metres and enjoy winning the Olympic Games. Uh, and I had that conscious moment to be, enjoy That's this. Cool. It's mm. almost certainly the last time at Le <laughs> uh, Make the most of it. And yeah, I... I kind of walked over the line, took it in, knew that my um, little brother was going to follow behind me and come second. I knew that I was winning the Olympics. Yeah, and, and, and I had time to take it in, which was obviously incredible. Those are moments, mm. good moments. Um, I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but I think we need to go for some questions, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> if I, I promise my, my fiance, my fiance's uh, dad sent me a question to ask. He's a very keen runner. He's in his 60s and he's still running like sub 23 5k park runs and just mm, killing me. Enough. So, yeah, he's very, uh, very good athlete. So his question was, this is for Tim Seddon, being an elite pro sport person is often the defining feature of that person's identity. When the time comes to finish, that change can present a huge mental challenge and feeling of loss. Have you ever thought about how you manage that transition? Yeah, I think this is a massive issue. Uh, something that Stevie probably knows. Yeah, as we talked, we've talked about it before, and how important the podcast is. I think you know, in filling mm -hmm. that gap. Um, something that I'm really interested personally, because it's something that I'm going to have to deal with and know. Like we've discussed, I'm the kind of person that needs something because, um, yeah, I think otherwise I'll be in the pub at eleven o'clock <laughs> the next morning, not knowing not what to do with myself. But no, jokes aside, yeah, I struggle effectively, um, and. Uh, I think on the, on so personally, I think like I said earlier, I've tried to put in a range of things in place of things that I can pick up and do more of, and that I'm interested and passionate about, and um, that will fill that gap for me to be able to do, which is really cool. Um, and I've become more and more interested actually in doing this for other athletes and the wider athlete population. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that I've really enjoyed and found most interesting, and I think most importantly, most applicable to kind of athlete mindset is kind of entrepreneurism um, mm. and business building and uh, development and startup kind of development around that. Um, so yeah, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment actually is to provide that kind of a, a business kind of course, entrepreneurship course, accelerator type thing for um, professional athletes, uh, which I think is a, a really kind of a really cool thing to do. Oh, of course, they're literally purposely designed to deal with that issue. Yeah. To help people nice. kind of transition. Yeah, out. well, I actually, uh, there's a, a, a bit, of, I was thinking about, it, as you were talking earlier, Stevie, actually, there's a, 
a really good bit of research by a guy called Professor Lavely who researches uh, post-athletic careers. Um, and his research is actually in the NRL. Um, mm. And he found that uh, kind of generally uh, athletes that engaged in more post-career planning and had an idea of what they were going to transition into uh, alongside the careers and then post-careers performed better at the time. Mm. Um, and... It completely makes sense when it, when you think about it. You know, if mm. if I'm not worrying about what I've got on post sport, um, in loads of ways, actually, you know, one of those worries could be financial. One of those worries could be what am I going to do? You know, mm-hmm. what what is the gap going to be in my life? Um, then actually, I can just kind of lift the moment and perform in that moment, which I think is really important in sport. Um, so yeah, he's he's published research on that. Um, and I, yeah, I completely agree and, and, and associate with that myself. Um, so if there's one thing that a legacy I think I'd like to leave in sport, it could be that. Cool. like it. Um, we'll jump some questions from the Zoom and in the room in yeah. a second. But just before, uh, if we think about the transition of this point, you said you're going to longer races. I saw recently you were looking to do the, like break the seven hour mark for the Ironman. Is that still on the cards is that still one of the aims that you've your next goal yeah that event is going to happen in uh april next year uh or yeah but some kind of kind of early uh summer next year um and i'm really looking forward to it but there's a lot of planning and uh, strategy going into that at the moment uh and it's been really interesting so for those listening um uh, what is the current record just to uh, put it in context. Kind of officially 7.35. Someone's done about 7.25-ish. So you're looking so to, to break really seven. Off. Yeah. And like the, um, the sub two marathon record, mm. when you're uh, playing around, you know, kind of setting the rules a bit different to what's the maximum uh, I can do with the human body, human powered here. Um, so there are some things in the rules, like being able to work together as a team on the bike and stuff like that, that wouldn't be allowed in a normal Ironman, but... It's a it's a super interesting project. Yeah, well, yeah, keep us in the loop, mm-hmm. and um, we'll all be watching. I'm sure, definitely. Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. We'll start with the room, I guess, lads. Have you guys got any questions, Charlie? I'll come to you first, or do you want to just shout into the mic? Adam, you're you're up, mate. Um, I wanted to ask a question um, regarding your mindset when you're actually running. Obviously, in terms of like people and yourself you know we're at different levels um when i was sort of running and when i intend to get back into running one thing that kept me going whilst i was running was music that i was listening to um obviously in terms of like an olympic race where you're running you're not allowed to have headphones in for whatever reason so first question what's going through your head and what's driving you to keep focused you know to achieve obviously what you're wanting to achieve and secondly for someone like myself who's looking to get back into running, what advice would you give um, to keep focused aside from having a phone in my pocket and mm. headphones in my ear? Uh, yeah, I think um, how I like approach racing uh, is maybe quite interesting, but like completely not applicable, to be honest, because <laughs> you've got to be a bit of a psychopath. You're completely <laughs> focused on the moment. And ultimately, sport is uh, effectively the very selfish pursuit of trying to smash the guy next to you. Uh, and that's what your focus is. Um, and yeah, people can dress it up in all kinds of uh, more sympathetic and uh, ways, but you're trying to beat the guy next to you. And that's what your focus has got to be. You know, how hard can I push so the guy next to me breaks? Uh, and effectively, that's the focus. You know, how hard can I push? Can I push? Can I push? oh, he's still got something left, can I push harder? And so that, for me, that has to be my kind of 
complete focus, I think. Um, I think generally, like, kind of the, yeah, about being fit and life fit and, you know, active in lifestyle, um, I think, number one, routine. Like, routine is so important. Like you guys said it before, good habits. Um, you know, I, I love training. I love being outdoors. I love exercise. I have loads of kind of other motivational factors around me, like groups of friends to train with, you know, everyday groups to go out with and people to do it with. And still, routine's the number one most important thing in my life to be active consistently. So, yeah, and I think a, a consistent routine that you can uh, you can achieve week in week out. So you're saying, you know, it makes it a bit difficult when you're up at half three in the morning to work. But uh, yeah, hopefully when that finishes in the next few weeks, you know, I think it is like right. My new situation is this. I know I can consistently get out the door to go running, whatever, three days a week or four days a week, and that is going to be a Monday morning, Tuesday night, Thursday morning, Friday, you know, whatever that might be. And knowing that you can do that because it fits in your life and your work and the rest of your life and doing it, you know, you've to make a difference, you've got to do it for six months or, you know, that is just, and by then you've formed a habit and it, it's good. So I think number one, routine. Number two, remove all the, uh, the factors that require kind of motivation and difficulty to overcome. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that looks like, uh, I try to be really good with keeping my kit and trainers next to the door and my bike's all ready to working and my bike on a turbo. So I've kind of got none of those psychological barriers to going out training. So when you sit on the sofa and you're thinking, I don't fancy it now, you know, mm. it's raining or whatever, mm. you know, I'm not thinking I'm not doing it tonight because my trainers are wet or I don't know where my running shorts are or whatever, you know, um, I think that's really important. Remove all those barriers. Uh, number three, uh, find what motivates you and if there's one thing I learned from writing the book and talking to people that's really different uh, for different mm. people so for me I'm sometimes motivated by the social aspect because I'm going and seeing my friends I'm sometimes motivated by the competitive aspect you know because I want to beat the person next to me or racing Johnny or whatever I'm sometimes uh, motivated by the sense of achievement of completing a session sometimes because a goal I'm um uh, aiming for in the future and sometimes all four of those factors in the space of one session so you know if you're motivated by socially find a good group or a good group of people to do stuff with um i think that one's really good because it kind of holds you to account to an extent you know if you know you're meeting your mates to go for a run at six o'clock on a tuesday night you've got to be there because otherwise you're letting those guys down and i think that's really good um so yeah i think i think that's most important but i think over all those i think uh routine is is super important and i think the other things yeah i guess like you're saying about music you know if that is a source of your motivation absolutely great do it like yeah don't, don't think there's no right or wrong answer on that i guess i guess my question would be like once you've reached gold and won the olympics like where do you go from there like for my like I've just finished the course of course and that's all I've ever dreamed of mm. of finishing that and now I'm like where do I go from here what, how do I better that head out of way mate that's what you got to do next actually you got two you can either go longer you can do the pen iron way which is a bit longer yeah. and harder or you can go faster and see if you can do it any quicker I honestly don't think I could do it quicker well, of course you can you just have to train <laughs> for it <laughs> <laughs> But what else can I, how, how did you, like after you won gold, did you have anything else? 
Like, was that it then, or was there anything else that you wanted to then go on to? Well, yeah, winning Olympic gold in London was, you know, dream country, so cliched. Yeah. But, like, you know, I'd literally known about this race for seven years, actually longer. Yeah. I stayed up in the middle of the night to watch the Sydney Olympics in 2000 as a 12 year old when Olympics was in the triathlon was in the Olympics for the first time. And I was like, wow, you know, my sports in the Olympic Games. Like maybe, just maybe, it seems like the impossible dream. I'll be there one day. Uh, and 12 years later in my home city in London, you know, home country, I'd won the Olympic Games. So like, it's a massive thing. Um, and yeah, strangely, there is definitely that like post kind of gold dip where yeah. you hear people talk about it all the time and you're like, well, I've achieved that. The real value in tr was trying to get there and the process and that's what I enjoyed. And now that's gone and the carpet's pulled from under me and I've got nothing left. There was a bit of that and yeah. I, I had a really, uh, about 10 days or two weeks later, I was back in Leeds after going to all kinds of ridiculous parties and being super busy as you can imagine and uh, I went swimming, I was, at the time I was swimming at whatever, seven or half, seven every morning at the university pool and I got down there, I'm like, no, nah, I just need to move again, start doing some exercise. So I got up quite early in the morning, as I had done for yeah. most of the previous 10 years, uh, and dived in the pool. And about, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, I realised, actually, I don't do it to win the Olympics. I do yeah. it uh, really strange and a cliche. I do it because this is who I am and this is what I do. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm going to carry on doing it. And uh, this is what I do. And so I need to find something to do next. Um and that was kind of my outlook on it, to be honest. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, if you enjoy walking and long distance walking, that's what you do. Keep on doing it. And um, most importantly, like I can make all the jokes and say you should do the pen and way or do it faster. But the most important thing is you have to find a goal or something that motivates you to go out and train and prepare for it. Because... Yeah ultimately you're the one who's going to go and do it so yeah, i need to get searching <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah, that's that's my question Cheers, great Charlie. Cheers, yeah. Charlie. Good man. well consider the pen i wear it's nice i think <laughs> <laughs> um what you've already i think answered something similar ali but um from joe man on evolve he's got during the many hours of training do you use self-talk to get you through if so how does the self-talk change during competition especially during the gold medal events yeah, I don't think I use self-talk so much. I just kind of get fully focused on what I'm doing, try to technically do what I'm doing to the best of my ability. Um, for me, and this is a really personal thing, I think, but uh, if I'm getting to the point where I'm like, come on, to get on with it, man up, like, what's wrong with you, get on with it. I, I think that's when I'm too, I've like lost focus away from where I should be. Mm. Um, and I've kind of my mind and at that point I'm having a, a bad race and mm. I'm probably already in trouble <laughs> yeah yeah but that's for me I think different people are different and I think like I said earlier you know most I think I'm probably very much at the extreme end of this spectrum I've been super focused when I need to be super focused in an event to get the most out of myself and um, I'm not sure how applicable that is <laughs> to lots of yeah yeah it's I think it, it, Especially if you're competing, I think uh, that voice goes, doesn't it? I think you're lucky to have that voice go and mm. not even be a thing, and you're just in the flow. You're kind in the of, mode. yeah, flow. A lot of people now might call it flow. I know that's kind of a popular mm. current uh, way of articulating it, but I think I would just call it being in the moment or being yeah. focused on what you're doing. Or mm. Yeah. Yeah, because even like on the training days, 
do you get into that mode when it's a when it's a Tuesday night and it's pissing down? Do you just get into that focus mode as well, or is that a, is that a time where you have to go? Yeah, come on. I just need to keep getting the miles in here. I just need to keep getting the miles in. Yeah, I think for me it depends on what I'm doing. I think um, in most of most of my training is fairly like low level, easy training that uh, maybe probably doesn't require that much physical or mental effort per se. So, you know, I can run along or ride along having a chat to the person mm-hmm. next to me. Um, and I think at that point, yeah, I'm not in that state if you want to call it and. Yeah, maybe sometimes you might say there's a bit of self-talk. It's like, right, I need to do a four-hour ride today and, you know, you're an hour in and you think about turning around because the weather's bad and I might be like, no, get on with it. Yeah. Like, stop yeah. being soft or Just whatever. Just get on with it, yeah. yeah. But I think the whatever, 10 or 15 or 20% of the time where I'm going really hard, the more I've realised is when you're going hard, the focus that's required to go that hard you're in the, this state of like concentration or whatever people you know might call it flow or in the moment um and at that point yeah i'm not so worried about i'm not really worried about anything else i'm really focused on what i'm doing at the time yeah do you meditate at all or not really uh not like systematically um i yeah i, I guess like lots of things like this i you know, sometimes do things to like clear my mind, you know, when, when I'm relaxing or whatever. Uh, I love reading um, and I think actually the process for me, like I said, uh, I think before as well, I think running in particular and doing things hard, but running in particular has always been probably a source of some form of meditation for me. Um, and outside that, yeah, that's why I think I probably quite like reading. Yeah, just thinking back to like games, um, I think like the la- in rugby league if it's like the last probably like the last 15 minutes 65 minutes in where I don't think it even is the voice I, I think it's like it's just a feeling I think that you just need to ride um, and momentum it's like momentum in, in, in the middle of those games to and fro in and then you get a feeling in the last 10 minutes that you might be on the top of that wave and it's like you might get the extra spurt of energy to say these are going to break, we know they're going to break and it's like you've got to stay in that cycle and, and sort of keeping that momentum and it's not like a... I'm fascinated with it in team sports though because mm. it's how that interacts with everyone around you. For me, yeah. it's only like me, but yeah. for you, part of that is you could be having the best day ever, but the surely the slightest like thought that yeah. a couple of the guys around you aren't in that similar position and yeah. the whole thing... That's why it just feels like when everyone you can just tell it's like a different energy when everyone's on like and any team can all any team can't be any team but mm. if you are in in you've clicked into that mindset as a team that you're a millisecond more desperate to make a tackle compared to what they are and everyone's on the same wavelength that adds up to quite a lot um and you can just tell like you go into games sometimes you look around and you, you know you're warming up and you're like, oh, it's going to be one of them days today. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You're mm. looking around, you're going, I don't know if he's on. I don't know if mm. he's on. And you, see, you know, I, I'd be always making myself, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hitting this tackle bag harder because, a, I need to make sure that I'm on. But then also, mm. this dickhead next to me needs to mm. to start pulling his mm. finger out. You know, so it's like, it's such like a thing that you can feel into almost. Um, in terms of being able to keep 
keep fixed on on that yeah, mindset yeah. i guess um so yeah it's it's hard to break it down in terms of science and that's what you will guess with with, with, with that book and um, yeah like i said it fascinates me because obviously all my experience and whatever is individual yeah you know, how, yeah i've got a fantastic team of people that are around me behind me get you to that start line you know incredible commitment from people day in day out um but ultimately when the gun goes you just you. yeah mm. and um yeah that's one of the things i enjoyed most about the book asking those questions from people who yeah that that whole component of people people around you and how they're performing and how they impact on your performance on the day only the top athletes though i think wasn't it that book so yeah it's i think i i, I had anything else to do i think <laughs> i don't know what i'll do it right let's see if there's any where's this chat jimbo i don't oh, know chat uh how do I get the chat up? I had another couple of questions from... <laughs> I've got another couple of questions from if you're still finding Yeah, with sound. Yeah. So my, my cousin, Colm O'Connor, who runs uh, Luke and Harriers over in Dublin, uh, a running club, he's a, he's a coach over there. His thing, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but I guess it is quite interesting for people, was about nutrition and diet. And my slant on that is, I saw an article with you quite a few years ago, I think it was on BBC Good Food, and it's what do the Brownlees eat? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those where I think it's quite good to just not be, not have these obsessed fad diets. But it was interesting. You said, you know, if I'm feeling sometimes I want something quick, I'll have fish and chips and mm. things like that. Has your nutrition, approach nutrition changed over, over and where, where are you now with it? Yeah, so I think uh, the best approach for nutrition is that, you know, we all need, we all kind of know what we need to eat. Like healthily, we, we need to eat a, a healthy, balanced diet um, with loads of fruit and veg in it um the right amount of protein we get for that from meat or whatever um and when you're the rest of it you need to fuel for the exercise that you're doing um when you need loads of exercise like six hours a day that's kind of quite a lot of fuel mm. and you need to get that from somewhere um yeah i still there's kind of two parts that my kind of daily lively diet that i have quite a relaxed attitude to um and then performance nutrition which um is what you eat and drink in a race which i'm really focused about uh, and work hard on maximizing um, but yeah my general lifestyle diet um, I, I don't think about too much to be honest um, for two reasons I think as long as I'm getting plenty of fruit and veg about the right amount of energy balance um, right amount of protein in at, at the right time that's what I need for my sport and how I do that and also when you're training a lot and like working hard, if you enjoy your food uh, and stuff like, yeah, you know, you've got to, you've got to give yourself a break somewhere. Cool. You've got a few more questions from Evolve. They're all comments. Talking about, have you seen David Goggins' book? No. Um, I haven't seen I it, read it or heard it. Um, talking, taking souls, similar, I think you were talking about when you're next to someone in a race and stuff and, you, you just think how much this guy got I'm going to take him I'm going to take him I think that was David Goggins talks is like you're taking souls all the time mm. when you're out on the on the, the yard yaka it's like taking his soul I'm taking his soul I'm mm. doing that so that's just a comment that they've put mm. on there there's a few more on there as well have you got one T or yeah so my, my friend good mate of mine Bobby Hassard a mate from Leeds Uni we, we all graduated in 2010 actually as well which I think was the same year yeah Um, he's going for sub it's his second attempt to do a sub four hour um marathon so any tips for him his main one was 
what's the best way of improving rodding stamina which i guess is kind of an, an open question what would be your top yeah really sorry about this uh whenever i get asked these questions yeah I can imagine it's the this. most boring answer but it's the one that works there is no shortcut you just got to run more okay and consistent like uh, i was saying about your question like consistency is key relative consistency of a long period of time you know running more consistently how would you guard against injury like being consistent and building up slowly yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah don't do four 10 mile runs in the first week you know if you're aiming i'd say in this number four but it could be two or four or six or whatever um yeah if you can do that maybe start off with two and you're doing like 20 minutes and then you're building up to three and 20 you know it, it's really sensible like stuff i mean and i can say it and give the advice i'm, I'm not that sensible most of the time so <laughs> what running trainers do you wear Adidas, obviously. <laughs> Adidas, uh, I, loads of different ones, but I do most of my training in Adidas Boston's. Boston's, yeah. Cool. Like it. I've got a few quick, well, kind of quick fire. But Go on, fire away, mate. Do you think human achievement will peak? Because I've always thought, sometimes they say, oh, no, we'll never get past this, this threshold and then someone will have done it. And do you think that will just continue exponentially? Like, will there be a 9.5 second 100 metres of... Do you think there is a stop point? Depends if AI can come into it, doesn't it? I know, yeah. Well, I guess that's an open wider. But what what, what are your thoughts on it? Or do you think they're, they're always uh, there to be broken? It's definitely not exponential, obviously. Because uh, that is, can't reach zero. But it's diminishing. Yeah. Yeah, it's diminishing returns. Um, and, you know, you're seeing that in pretty well-developed events like sprinting. Like, on the whole, the trend is to uh, get faster, but less faster than before. And we're at pretty much a... A decade now, I think, of stagnation in the men's hundred and two, aren't we? So um, that maybe answers. So I guess okay. Yeah. When do you think it will peak across all sports? Like, is there... it's different on different sports. So some sports are super well developed. So if we look at like the men's hundred meters, and probably on the whole across men's and women's ish, you know, most those kind of athletic events are pretty well developed. Um, we're not seeing loads of uh, loads of kind of records tumbling massively although it, we do kind of see it in some sports um in uh tokyo like the 400 hurdles for example that was a pretty big record to get mm. um so yeah we are we, you know we are seeing when will it peak yeah different different sports uh i don't think we'll ever see a hard peak i think we're we're just seeing slowly diminishing returns so it'll take another again if we use the men's 100 meter sprint for example uh, we're now waiting for a, a, a once-in-a-generation athlete to come along and do it. Um, and he'll knock a little bit off the world record. So that, I guess, is more on the individual than all the science we've got now, like, I guess. Well, no, I think it's a combination of both. I, d I don't think you can... Um, all the best science in the world won't turn a, a good 100-metre sprinter into it with the ability to break Usain Bolt's world record. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think um, a Usain Bolt coming along without good you know good intervention coaching science however you want to say that but you know good support won't break Usain Bolt's world record so I think we're now at the point where you, you for the, for those kind of events you really need the combination of both I think other sports are probably a bit less developed um, and triathlon may or may not be one of those where you could con you know you can turn a good athlete into an Olympic medalist and um, yeah a, a very good athlete without much support can be an Olympic medalist or how you define that um, I think the more developed a sport is, um, the harder it is to do that. And you need the perfect combination of both. 
I think, personally. Cool. And actually, I took a quote from your, your book that I thought was really interesting. Sport is life, failure is death, was, uh, was a quote, uh, which you said, it's almost like you know that that's not true, kind of outside of the sport, that like these things are just these arbitrary things we've created. But then when you're in the sport, and I think you mentioned, uh, was it the Welsh rugby player? Um, Shane Williams. Yeah, mentioned, yeah. he called it temporary insanity. So mm. it's like you switch that on. So I guess these individuals have to buy into that as well in those moments. But Yeah, I think um, different things at different points of people's career and for different athletes, but it does have to be pretty all-consuming. You know, ultimately, like I said before, we can't get away from the fact that you stand on the start line trying to beat all the other people around you who also have dedicated most of their life to the... Uh, to the goal of trying to be you <laughs> and uh you know to do that you do it if you do it to the best of your ability and that involves people might call it sacrifices or choices or however you decide to define it um yeah so missing family parties yeah other mm. relationships um yeah sacrificing other career and academic you know goals or whatever lifestyle uh, your body for example you know in injury risk whether that's mental or physical all those things, um, and ultimately, it has to be important enough to you to to go through all that. Um, and whether you define that as life or death, or whether you define that as very important, I don't. It doesn't really matter. But that's it. You know, it has to be that important to you to do that. Not only today or tomorrow, but for years, months, and years on end. Um, and I think I don't. You know, people might say, "Oh, actually, it's not that important to me," but. I I would challenge anyone on that if it's if it's important enough to do all that over that period of time mm. it's got to be pretty important to mm. you. Final one for me. Um just inverting a question from earlier and you might choose to say I wouldn't want to meet him but if you did meet say 100 year old um yourself in the future and uh he he would tell you what the next 10 years of your life looked like what would you want him to say? Uh, <laughs> Well, firstly, I hope the 100-year-old me is still actually can walk yeah. <laughs> and isn't so knackered that he's... Doing coast-to-coast. Yeah, coast. Yeah. Actually, yeah. actually, I'd love to be doing the coast-to-coast. Coast. Actually, no, alive. I'd like to be alive first, obviously, but if I'm alive, I'd like to be able to walk. So 100-year-old Alistair walks in now. He's fine, and he's <laughs> yeah. healthy, he's happy. Yeah, he's sat in the pub just reminiscing yeah. and having a pint and saying what it used to be like in his day. Yeah, and uh, what the next 10 years look like. I'd like another... Um, few years in sport to be able to really achieve my Ironman goals and do that to the very best of my ability, um, relatively injury free uh, and train hard and prepare as well as I can for that. Um, after that, I'd like to transition away from sport to my kind of uh, various, I guess, other interests, but, um, you know, leave a legacy. Uh, one of the, a couple of things, a, the, um, the how popular triathlon is and more people doing triathlon um, which is something fantastic and something that Johnny and me do a lot of work with our foundation through uh, and more kids being active um, I, I think that's something that I'm really passionate about and, and like to work hard on and also yeah a bit around um, really helping encouraging athletes to have careers alongside their sporting careers and, and things to go in, into afterwards um, and also I'd, I'd like to be uh, still be active every day to be able to do kind of sporting challenges and, and fun events that I haven't been able to do yet. Cool. Any more books on the horizon? Do you think, think that's yeah, something you're pursuing? I've been thinking about another book uh, that I, that I want to write. Um, and yeah, I've been 
bouncing around some ideas. So I'd, I'd love to be. If you to need an athlete, Stevie knows Josh Warrington. I know, so. I know quite a few <laughs> athletes. <laughs> <laughs> Class. Cool. That was really good.